At a time when most people still used computers to play Oregon Trail or to create basic spreadsheets, a product called the Knowledge Navigator was to be an all-in-one solution for people who used computers for professional daily use. It was going to be a tablet the size of an open magazine, and it would have very sophisticated artificial intelligence. And by that, the developers meant that the device would be able to anticipate the needs of the user. They made a mock-up video of it that's pretty wild. While you were busy, your mother called again to remind you to pick up the birthday cake. Mm, fine, fine, fine. Um, print this article before I go. Now printing. Okay, I'm going to lunch now. If Kathy calls, tell her I'll be there at 2 o'clock. Also, find out if I can set up a meeting tomorrow morning with, um, Tom Lee. Enjoy your lunch. One clip shows a college professor working with the device to simultaneously prepare a lecture while the computer creates useful graphics automatically beside him. The problem was none of that was actually possible. It also cost quite a bit of money. So various upgrades and new model releases followed. But it was a classic case of overpromising and underdelivering. The Newton was the worst. It was 1986, and although mobile phones did exist, the functionality is far from what we have today. It wasn't until 1991 that text messages, picture messages, and multimedia messages were even possible. So basically, at the time of this product's inception, the primary functionality of computers was line-based commands, and the only functionality for mobile phones was placing calls. At this point, I think it's time to break down a couple of terms, UI and UX. UI is user interface. It's a place where interactions between humans and machines occur. It allows users to operate a machine and complete a task or achieve a specific goal, like making a purchase or creating a reminder, doing math, playing Candy Crush. In fact, you are probably using a UI right now to listen to this podcast. User interfaces are composed of input hardware, keyboard, mouse, gamepad, and output hardware to provide information to users like monitor, speakers, or your printer that's always low on cyan. Input and output devices are used together so users can fully communicate with the machine. Get it? What you might not know is there are many different types of user interface. Here are the three most common UIs. Command line interface, graphic user interfaces, and voice-enabled user interfaces. UX, or user experience, focuses on crafting products that are easy to use and understand. It's the concept of user-centered design. In order to figure out exactly what will provide the best user experience, designers have to understand their target audience and identify exactly what they need from the product. As UX designers get this data, they create user personas. Personas help users see goals, desires, and limitations of target users, all in an attempt to design solutions that work best for the users. The emotions users have while interacting with a product 
essentially inform how users feel about the product itself. That's why the concept of user journey became a cornerstone of user experience design. UX is focused on the user's journey to solve a specific problem, and design actually has a lot to do with that. So how are UI design and UX design related? Well, it's a common misconception that UI and UX are the same thing. The truth is, UI should be there to support good UX. If the interface is well thought out and operates smoothly, that leads to a better overall user experience. But without great overall UX, even the most beautifully designed UI components can't compensate. Enter Steve Sackerman an engineer passionate about alternative input methods. He thought eventually keyboards would be obsolete and intended to find the best alternative for users to interact with computers. In order to keep the talented Sackman from defecting to a competitor, his company proposed creating a skunkworks project to create a handheld computer, which is exactly what he wanted. Now, what's a skunkworks project? Apparently, Skunk Works was the name of the Hush Hush Moonshine operation on the outskirts of town in the southern-based comic strip Lil Abner by legendary writer and artist Al Cap. The first use of it to mean a secret project being worked on autonomously within the walls of a larger corporation was done by Lockheed Martin. The reason for all the secrecy can be so that marketing departments or sales staff don't mention it before the ideas have had long enough to bake. Or it can also hide efforts from executives who would never stand for outlandish, outside-the-box style ideas that look like a giant waste of time on a spreadsheet if nothing ever comes to fruition. In the case of Lockheed Martin, one such Skunk Works project figured out how to make a supersonic jet that was both long-range capable and invisible to radar. What they came up with was the Blackbird. Okay, not bad. Now back to Newton. The Newton was considered very innovative. Its handwriting recognition system was the most anticipated feature. However, the handwriting software was barely ready by 1993 and had a bad tendency to misread characters. So I've come up with these academic alerts. You will receive one as soon as your grades start to slip in any subject. This way, your parents won't have to wait until report card time to punish you. How innovative! I like it! Hey, Dolph, take a memo on your Newton. Beat up, Martin. There was even a Simpsons episode called Lisa on Ice where there was a scene where Beat Up Martin is saved as Eat Up Martha. Gary Trudeau also mocked the Newton and Doonesbury, saying the device was no more functional than a cheap paper notepad. In one panel, Michael Doonesbury's Newton misreads the words catching on as egg freckles, a phrase that would be used by many as a symbol of the Newton's problems. I don't really know how that worked. I don't know if people were like, oh, here's John coming with his egg freckles. I'm not sure how that was cute, but I'm sure it was pretty clever. Oh, hey, by the way, did I forget to mention this? The Newton wasn't even technically called the Newton. See, the Newton was actually the name of the operating system, not the hardware, like Windows. In fact, one of the big hopes of Sackerman was that they could license out the OS. And they were even previously in talks with AT&T to do that at one point. 
the one big thing a ton of these articles, blogs, polls, and listicles leave out. They spend so much time crapping on the product, they don't even get the name right. Everyone just loves to see an innovative computer giant like Apple fail. Oh, had I not mentioned that this was an Apple product? Yeah. A lot of people blame Apple's overzealousness as a contributing factor to its failure as well. In the time between having announced the product and the actual launch, there came some competition. Although the Newton Magic Pad didn't fly off the shelves, it did actually become pretty popular in some industries, notably the medical field. But then in 1996 came the Palm Pilot, which succeeded in using a handheld as an accessory to the personal computer and not a replacement. Features included one button synchronization with the PC, much improved handwriting recognition, easy to use organizer functions, fast responses, a pocket size, and a price of just $299. In an attempt to stay competitive, the MessagePad 100 was released. The product cut the entry-level price down to $499. The MessagePad 2000 was released in 97 and came with upgraded specifications, including a bigger processor. The screen resolution was also improved to 480 by 320. In addition, they produced the eMate 300, which used Newton software and had a keyboard slightly smaller than a laptop. They tried all kinds of stuff. It was often said that Apple had an early 90s identity crisis. The company's products were too pricey for casual users and too undependable and underpowered for business users. And then something happened. Or rather, someone happened. After losing a boardroom battle in 1985, Steve Jobs left Apple, feeling forced out of the company that he had started. But in 97, he returned, and he wanted to make some changes. He was critical of the message pad's weak performance, the management of the development team, and the stylus which he disliked as it prevented the usage of fingers. He would always say stuff like, why do you need a stylus when you've got 10 of them at the end of your hands? He was likely also motivated by the fact that the Newton was the pet project of his old adversary, John Scully, the guy with whom he'd shared that boardroom battlefield with in 1985. However, Jobs did see potential in the technology and the concept, if not the execution. Newton OS features many interface elements that the Macintosh system software didn't have at the time, like the poof animation, which is still used in OS X, and parts of Newton's handwriting recognition system are implemented on modern systems as well. Here's a short list of things that are still around from Newton. Sound responsiveness. Clicking menus and icon makes a sound. This feature was later introduced in Mac OS 8. The use of icons. Similar to the Macintosh desktop metaphor, Newton OS uses icons to open applications. Tabbed documents. Similar to tabbed browsing in today's browsers and Apple's at-ease interface, document titles appear in a small tab at the top right hand of the screen. Screen rotation. In Newton 2.0, the screen can be rotated to be used for drawing or for word processing. File documents. Notes and drawings can be categorized like fun, business, personal, etc. Documents on the Newton can be printed. Documents can be sent to other Newtons via infrared technology or sent using the internet by email or being faxed. 
Similar menu systems are seen in Mac OS, but menu titles are instead presented at the bottom of the screen in small rectangles, making them more similar to buttons with attached pop-up menus. So very early guts were all there. They just hadn't quite put it together yet. The main concept of the message pad was to take the computer out of the office or home and have it carried around with you in your purse, your pocket, or your briefcase. And while it's true, it was a commercial flop. It also did lead to the Palm Pilot, which led to the Windows tablet, which led to early smartphones like the BlackBerry. And all of that led up to the iPhone, which made Apple the incredible company that it is today. So without the Newton, I don't think Apple would be as successful as it is today. <clears throat> and that's it. That's how I originally ended this one. Like a fourth grade book report. So without Newton, I don't think Apple would be as successful as it is today. Ugh. That's such an obvious ending. But what am I trying to say? I think I'm usually trying to say we should all be trying to be better people, but that doesn't really apply here. Like, what's our barometer for good people in this story? Lockheed Martin? Bill Gates? Look. Sometimes the journey to inspiring podcasting takes a detour away from the smells of a little corner bakery and the polite conversation of a mom-and-pop cafe through massive corporations and unscrupulous business practices, you know? I guess I'm trying to say that inspiration can sometimes be hard to come by. And at a time when national TV shows and cartoon strips in the nation's largest newspapers were crapping on a product, somewhere, way back, someone had a dream. It was Steve Sackman. He bet on himself to predict the way people would eventually use computers. And guess what? He was right. The world can be a fickle, stingy place, and so can success, and so can time. You may have come up with an incredible way to harvest buffalo berries 20 years before anyone's making buffalo berry pie. You had a great idea, and the timing just didn't line up. Don't let those variables define your mindset. Steve Sackman could have very well become that Newton guy and crawled into a hole, but he didn't. In fact, Steve Sackman is such a prolific engineer, executive, and consultant, he was actually out the door at Apple before Newton devices even shipped. Here's what I want to say. Don't define yourself by a project's failure. Push forward, because you know time always does. And if you do find yourself at that perfectly timed intersection of preparation and opportunity at the old success cafe, save me a slice of that buffalo berry pie. And then keep moving forward. I'm Matt Johnston, and I love a good underdog story. I'm just kind of fascinated with people who gave it their best shot and didn't just come up short, but came in dead last. If you share a similar sensibility, keep listening. If you want to share a story that sounds like that, just email me at you're the worst pod at gmail.com. Speaking of sharing, why not share us on social media? Find us on all the big ones at YTWpod. For a transcript, just go to halfmiledigital.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>